and uh, ask the Lord to direct me to a sermon that might be of benefit from uh, to you. And uh, so I was led to this text in Luke 19. Um, before we get there, I just want to make a, a few statements about one of the main topics of this text before we actually read it. The gospel message is very simple. So simple that a three-year-old can grasp it. But it takes a lifetime to work out what it means for how I live my life. As many of us here today can testify The Christian life is a long journey, and it's easy for us to lose our way. The tendency is to take one or two bad turns and end up lost in a dark forest. The first bad turn is to make responding to the gospel all about behavior. If I act right, I'm good. I'm good with God. I'm good with God's people. The second bad turn is to to make responding to the gospel all about what I think. If I have the right doctrine, then I'm good with God and I'm good with His people. The Bible gives us two fundamental words for how we are to live every day. And a lot of us think about these words in terms of a transition period from unbelief to belief, but these are actually words that are essential to how we live every day. Those words are repentance and faith. Repentance and faith are to drive all the changes that we make in our lives. Repentance and faith are essential to the daily Christian life. Repentance is my response to faith. Faith is seeing Jesus Christ and trusting what He says. Repentance is adjusting my life to who He is and what He says. So the question in repentance becomes, how do I go from being a bitter judge of another person's motives to being kind and generous and forgiving toward that person. Or another example, how do I keep my mind out of illicit sexual imaginations? And we could go through each one of the Ten Commandments and craft many questions just like that. But I think a far better way to get at what God means by repentance and faith is seeing repentance and faith in action. Stories stories convey truth just as powerfully as theological definitions. Of course, definition is important, but we learn far better by what we see as human beings and as we watch human beings act on what they believe. So we have today the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a model of what we're talking about today. There's so much we can learn from this simple, simple 
recounting of an encounter Jesus had as he was journeying to Jerusalem. Zacchaeus paints for us a picture of repentance. So please read with me Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. And let's read this with this in mind. These are God's very words. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. (laughs) And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, the crowd, saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's let's pray for understanding. Lord, there is a depth here and a profundity that we cannot attain to without your help. And so we ask you to help us to see Zacchaeus, to see the crowd, to see Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that the effect of this simple story would be to allow us to see ourselves and to see Jesus Christ. And that we would learn from this man and our Savior as we ponder the glories and the beauties of this text. So open our eyes that we might see marvelous things in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Bible, repentance is turning from something God disapproves of because you are turning to God. Or shorter, repentance is turning from sin because you are turning to God. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus does. He turns from sin because he's turning to God. Now, people turn from bad behaviors all the time for all kinds of reasons, but you wouldn't call it repentance. People stop getting drunk because it's ruining their health and destroying their family. 
people stop embezzling because it could land them in jail. A man may stop abusing his wife because if he continues, she'll leave. But you can't call that repentance because the motive behind repentance is always oriented toward God. Zacchaeus is a model of repentance. Now, before we can get into how he models repentance, we must understand something about the man. Uh, That will be a huge help. Uh, His name is, it's a Jewish name. Zacchaeus is a Jewish name. And in verse 9, Jesus calls him a son of Abraham. So he was a Jew. But as a Jew, he took a job that made him something of a traitor to his own people. He was the manager of a Roman tax district. Verse 2 calls him a chief tax collector. Now, we're not familiar with how the Roman system of taxation works, so it's good if I take a little bit of time to explain this. Here's how it worked. The Romans would put the position of chief tax collector out for hire. Anyone who wanted the job could bid on it, telling the Romans how much money they thought they could get out of the district. The Romans would then award the collection contract to the person whom they thought was likely to collect the most money. All the Romans cared about was that the chief tax collector sent them the money he said he'd collect by a defined date. Beyond that, there were no questions asked. Once you won the bid and got the job, you would hire people to go door-to-door collecting whatever tax the chief thought he could extract from you without inciting a riot. And so he would get done with his collection, and after paying off the Romans and his collectors, he got to keep the profits. And they could be massive. And if you were corrupt and ruthless and worked hard, you could become very, very rich with the profits you skimmed off the top. Now, We have a hard time relating to this. My biggest challenge when it comes to taxation in America is (laughs) the utter perplexity of TurboTax and my incapability of understanding the directions they give me. So my friend Tommy always has to look at my return and tell me what I did wrong this year. It's not like we finish computing our taxes and write a check for $1,200 and send it in and the tax collector calls back and says, uh, if you know what you're good, uh, what's good for you, you'll tear that check up and make one out for $1,800. Try to get into the mind of the average Jew who was observing the encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus. Your neighbor who lives in that small brick rambler down the street gets a job as the county property tax collector. Next thing you know, he's got a shiny new BMW in the driveway. And a few months later, he tells you he's moving to Annapolis so he can be closer to the 100-foot yacht he has moored on the bay. And then you get your tax bill, and it's double what it used to be. So you call him to complain, and he says, it is what it is. Pay up or you're going to jail. So you call the county government and they say, it is what it is. We can't do anything about it. We're under contract. And so you make your appeals to the top of the government feeding chain all the way up to the Justice Department. 
and you find out that what they invented this system for was so they could get the most money out of people for their government programs. Now, if you knew about that person, how would you react to him when you ran into him in the dairy section at Safeway? Would your first thought be to invite him to church? Would you want to introduce him to all your friends who could meet the dude who is responsible for ripping them off? So this is what we have in Zacchaeus. I I want you to, to recognize how loathsome he was and the challenge that people faced in having knowing this guy was skimming lots of money off of their taxes on top of that he had all the comforts money could buy but he had to send others to the grocery store to stay away from the crowds because he was like as likely to be beaten as to be ignored So, though he had legal backing and the protection of the Romans, in Jewish eyes, he was no better than a thief and an embezzler and a traitor to his people. With that context, let's consider what we can learn about repentance from Zacchaeus. Number one, I want to tell you five things we can learn about repentance from Zacchaeus. Number one, You are not big enough to find Jesus by yourself. He must come to you. Let me say that again. You are not big enough to find Jesus by yourself. He must come to you. Zacchaeus is short. And short people don't prefer standing packed in crowds since typically all they can see are the backs of t-shirts advertising various sports teams. So he doesn't join the crowd, but he's determined. He wants to see who Jesus is. So he climbs a tree. But while this is a good way to get a look at Jesus, it's hardly a way to meet somebody. People walking through crowds usually scan the crowd. They're not looking up in the trees. Zacchaeus was a man of power, but he didn't use his influence to try to get an audience with Jesus. He simply wants to know who Jesus is. That's what it said. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. He wants to get a look at him. But what he didn't realize is that something more than curiosity was compelling him to climb that sycamore tree. His curiosity had an origin far deeper than his own thoughts. This is how Jesus puts it in the Gospel of John. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You may be here today because a friend invited you. Because you're curious about these church people. You're curious about Jesus. You should be aware that your curiosity did not originate with you. It may be God is drawing you. To himself. 
So if we don't come to Jesus, He comes to us. Number two, if you search for Jesus, He will find you. Now, I didn't say that wrong. I didn't say, if you search for Jesus, you will find Him. I said, if you search for Him, He will find you. The story reads as if Jesus already knew who the man was. Did he ask the crowd? You know, who's the short guy up in the tree? Luke doesn't say. Whatever was on Jesus' mind, he knew who the guy in the tree was, and he knew he wanted to stay at his house. This is no general invitation to the crowd. Who wants to have me over for tonight? It's a request to a specific man. Jesus calls him by name. Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house. In that culture, hospitality was the ultimate sign of acceptance and friendship. Jesus is making friends with a notorious sinner. The crowd had no hint that Zacchaeus was going to renounce his economic oppression of the people in his town in response to Jesus' odd invitation. As far as they knew, Zacchaeus would be the same tomorrow as he was yesterday. Jesus coming to his house would make no difference. But God had other plans. Zacchaeus thought he was searching for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for him. To this day, Jesus Christ is, by His Spirit, searching for people. He's arranging the circumstances of their lives, maybe getting them up in a tree so they can hear His invitation. We need to be aware of that. He is seeking and searching for people He has chosen. Some of them, the least likely people you can imagine. Another thing we can learn from this story, number three, Jesus comes to you and loves you just as you are. Jesus comes to you and loves you just as you are. You don't have to clean up your act to become his friend. Notice how Jesus doesn't tell Zacchaeus to change anything. He just says, I'm coming over for the night. This is the big lie people believe about becoming a Christian. And I've encountered many non-believers who say, well, I could never be a Christian because I'd have to change all these things um, to, to, to approach God. That My life is too bad to approach God. Once I clean up my act, then Jesus will accept me. The fact is that we clean up our act because Jesus has already accepted us. If you don't get that, you're going to have a hard time because you're always unsure about how He thinks about you. But if daily despite your many sins, you're aware He loves me. He accepts me. It drives repentance. Number four, 
when you realize that he accepts you, he becomes your chief joy in life and the focus of your attention. Let me say that again. When you realize, when it dawns on you that he accepts you, he, be- he, he Jesus, becomes your chief joy and the focus of your attention. Verse 6, Zacchaeus hurried down from the tree and received Jesus joyfully. He didn't sit in the tree and debate with himself. Oh man, if I receive him, this could be expensive. I could lose this, that, and the other thing. I could be, I could be run out of town. I, I, I don't know what could happen. No. He just sees Jesus. He says, this is, this is who I've been looking for. This is what I need. This is the person that my life needs to be built around. We see in this story not a forced love. It is free. It is spontaneous. A person will undergo unusual hardships and make great sacrifices for someone he loves. And he'll give the bare minimum for someone he fears. It is the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. I am far more personally humbled when I realize who I am, when I realize the sinfulness that remains with me And yet he loves me. What can I do? What can I give? He loves me. Number five. Out of a relationship with Jesus and the joy it produces, you make changes in your life. Okay? Out of a relationship with Jesus and the joy it produces, you make changes in your life. This is what we call repentance. Zacchaeus writes his wrongs, but he does it lavishly. He pays back those he cheated four times what he took from them. Four times. He does right where he used to do wrong. Instead of greedily acquiring money, he gives it away. Now, you could argue that his paying back for only gotten money was required by the law of Moses. In fact, if you look at Exodus 22, verse 1, it mentions that if you steal a lamb, you got to pay back four lambs. But there was no legal requirement to give to the poor for your past misdeeds. And that's where Zacchaeus begins his announcement. Half of my wealth is going to the poor, and all those I've defrauded, four times what I took from them. Zacchaeus was so captured by the love of God he encountered in Jesus that he immediately begins with joy... To act like the one he's come to know. He he becomes like 
Jesus. He's not thinking, I've got to become like Jesus. He's not calculating the cost. He just, everything now is open and available. How can I love others? How can I give? What can I use this wealth for? So those are five things that we can learn about repentance from Jesus. Now, I want to I wanna go back again, and, and, and I want us to take a look at our own lives, okay? And think about how this story should affect us every day. Number one, three responses to this story. Number one, repentance must be a personal response to Jesus. Okay, so daily I am aware. I mean, Jesus told me to pray every day, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. So every day I've got sins to confess to the Lord. On bad days, I can't remember any, so I just ask the Lord to work with his memory, which I'm sure is quite extensive. Uh, But my motive has to be that I'm turning from sin because I'm turning to God. That word because is crucial. Your focus in your sanctification, your focus in your repentance must begin with God, not with the consequences of your sin or principles of ethics. Your primary concern is, what does God think about my behavior? So you must start with the Bible because the Bible is a book about God. The Bible is a book about who God is. The Bible is a book about how God thinks. What he finds valuable. Repentance begins with looking at God in all his grace and glory as he's revealed himself in Scripture. It begins with seeing his love before you can respond in kind with your own love. Repentance is a response to the love of God. Sin is the opposite. Sin is a love for what the Apostle John calls the world. All the things that people strive after and desire to get for themselves so that they can make a life for themselves that they think is like heaven on earth. 1 John 2.15 If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, for John, the world is that human culture, that system of thought and desires and behaviors that flow from the world and is opposed to God. And we we live in a culture, and everybody has always lived in in a world culture that is opposed to God, that tells you that your desires should be for yourself, not for God. If you love what is opposed to God, you cannot love God. So how does God, how does John in 1 John, and I know you've been through this book uh, recent years, how does John define this love? First he says, John, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. God in his essence is love. God's acts of love flow from his nature as love. 
So we start there. Can't love the world. I must love God. God is love. 1 John 3.16 If we know God's love, we know God's love for us by the fact that He laid down His life for us. This is the love of God, that He laid down His life. So, you want to know what love is? Look at Jesus Christ hanging on a cross. Didn't have to. He did it for you. Any true human love finds its source in God. Okay, so you want to say, how can I become a more loving person? Beloved, 1 John 4, 7. Let us love one another. For, key word, love is from God. And anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So this sacrificial love, this saying, half my money goes to the poor. You can see that he has come to know the love of God. And so he begins to express that love that he has received from God. So if repentance is a response to God, it is a response of love for God that finds its source in God's love for us. You see that? Your response begins with a reception. You receive His love, and so you love. We love, 1 John 4.19, because... He first loved us. So the Word of God introduces us to the love of God and the Spirit of God opens our eyes to see the love of God in Scripture. Repentance should also involve prayer. Prayer should be our impulse when we are aware that we have sinned or we are aware that a pattern of sin dominates us. Prayer is our personal response to a personal God. So repentance isn't just, okay, I've got to change my ways, got to do different, got to, bad habits, got to replace them with good habits. No, it starts with a personal encounter with a personal God in prayer. Dependent prayer. Prayer that's aware that if God does not act on us, repentance is impossible. I can't change myself. You must come and change me. Gospel-centered prayer. Prayer that brings your sin to Jesus, the one who died to pay the penalty of that sin. The one who loves you and loved you the same even when you were resisting His will. Prayer for forgiveness. Prayer for power to change. Repentance is a personal response to God as we see Him in Jesus. Repentance is a response of love informed by who God is as revealed in Scripture. Repentance requires prayer. So it's, it's personal. That's the thing I want you to see, number two. It's, it's personal. Repentance is personal. Um, sorry, that number one. Number two Number two point of application, repentance proceeds to action. Okay? So, it can't just be this personal confession to God. 
even a personal commitment that you express to God, it must follow in action. Zacchaeus closes his shakedown tax operation, repays those he's cheated with a massive markup, and starts giving to the poor. He acted on what he said and what he believed. What Zacchaeus does, we don't have time to go there, but what he does, Paul defines in both Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 with clothing metaphors. It's really interesting how Paul describes change for the Christian. You've got to take your clothes off and put new clothes on. When you come to Jesus, he gives you a new wardrobe. But you can't put the new clothes on top of the old ones. <laughs> Ephesians 4.22 Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off your old self. Put off your former manner of corrupt former manner of life. Put off your deceitful desires, all those desires that made all those promises about how good your life would be if you just had these things. Let your mind be renewed and put on your new clothes. Clothes that you see in the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. Paul illustrates what this put off and put on looks like through a number of applications. I want to just quote one. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Sounds just like Zacchaeus. It's like, okay, you're a thief. Quit your thieving job. Get to work to provide for yourself and give away the extra. The thief puts off stealing and he puts on getting an honest job and sharing his possessions. We tend to make repentance way too complicated. Zacchaeus got it right away. He saw Jesus. He experienced the love of God. He loved God in return by not only keeping God's word, but by lavishly giving away his wealth. When you look at God as revealed in Scripture and compare that to your own life, That's why it's so important to stay close to Scripture because what happens is you realize, I've got to change. <laughs> Stuff wrong here. There are thoughts and behaviors I must put off. There are thoughts and behaviors I must put on. I can't do this by myself. I need God's power. So I pray for that power and then I've got to act on it. We learn by doing. A lot of people think if you have information in your head, you know stuff. Sorry. Athletes understand this. Musicians understand this. The rest of us think, well, if I'm a Christian and I know right doctrine, that's all there is to it. No, you've got to live that doctrine. You've got to live every day what Zacchaeus did when he got down from the tree and stood before Jesus. Zacchaeus encountered Jesus. He immediately saw that his vocation led him to do much wrong. So he stopped cheating people and he started giving. Number three, a third application of this. So repentance is personal. 
Repentance requires action. Third thing I want to say is that repentance is a lifelong pursuit that should continue to flow from the joy of knowing Jesus. Okay? So a lot of, a lot of Christians, they think, okay, repentance is what you do when you first encounter Jesus. Zacchaeus didn't need to repent. After that day, he was done. He was in. No, it's a lifelong thing. Now, I want to show you this from Scripture. Uh, If you want to go there quickly, go to Titus chapter 2. Because it's very important to see that repentance is a way of life for all of us. Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. It's appeared in Jesus. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now here's the key phrase. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, put off, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. While we await Jesus' return, He personally trains us that word training the verb tense is ongoing he's always working to train us he's training us by grace to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives personally training us to put off ungodliness and to put on godly living while we Wait. While we wait for Him to reappear. While he, we wait for Him to put down all the powers of darkness and bring justice where it has been withheld. While we wait, we put off and we put on. So what I want you to see is if you're a Christian, this is a part of relating to Jesus. You see Him for who He is. And your sight of Him drives you to do things that you'd never do on your own. You repent of your sins because you are turning to God. You repent through His Son who laid down His life for you and awaits you in heaven, but even today relates to you by His Word and His Spirit every moment of your life, training you to live a godly life, training you to renounce ungodliness. Now, I have found one other question related to repentance that I didn't find a slick way to fit into the message, but I want to attend to because I have found for a lot of Christians, we're, we're pretty comfortable with understanding what repentance means in our own lives but we have a hard time with observing repentance or what we consider a lack of repentance in other people's lives. How do we know if a person has repented? We live in a community. 
Uh, we're always hanging out together. That's what our church is about, right? It's, it's life together. This can apply to evaluating a child's repentance. Child says, I believe in Jesus. I don't want to sin. Is that repentance? It can apply to a fellow church member who seems to practice the same sin repeatedly. It goes back to where I started. We can fall, we can get lost in the forest of evaluating each other based on behavior alone, or we can fall, get lost in the forest of saying that anything goes if the person makes the right confession. So, how do we help each other? And how do we evaluate each other? First thing I want to stress is that if you take repentance seriously in your own life, you know how hard this can be. Especially for sins that you have practiced for a long time. Now, I have, as most of you here know, been a pastor for a long time. And I've sat with many, many people who have revealed to me shameful things that they've done. And I'm always in a moment of temptation at that point. If how could you arises in my heart, we got a problem. What should arise in my heart is I could be exactly like that. God has had mercy on me that I'm not. If I stand, it's because He makes me stand. Not because I'm better. Not because I'm more disciplined. Not because I read my Bible more. Not because I know more doctrine. So we need to have compassion for anyone who says that they're seeking to repent. We need to say, this is hard. Second, We cannot see into a person's heart. We cannot see what only God can see. And we shouldn't try. All we have are words and behavior over time. Okay? So we we shouldn't think that somehow we can have this special x-ray vision. Do they really mean it? No, we go by words and behaviors. Jesus accepted Zacchaeus. Freely, you say, well, Jesus is God. He knew. Uh, Okay, but you and I, he's in heaven now, and you and I have the Spirit, but we don't have this ability to peer into a person's soul and determine what's sincere and what's not. Now, when a person has a history of saying one thing and then doing another, it definitely and should erode trust. And it, it puts the church community in a difficult place. But our default must be longing to see change and maintaining hope whenever confession results in a renewed pursuit of repentance. We should be leaning in. We should be longing for. We should be expecting change. So if a change in behavior follows a confession of wrongdoing, we must welcome back the errant brother or sister and hope and wait and look for true change. 
Change can take years. And so, if we're aware that all our sins are forgiven sins, if we're aware that any repentance in our life is, is a gift and any effort we've given was empowered by God Himself, by His mercy and grace, we begin to lean in with our brothers and sisters and say, I expect you to change. I know you can. I know it's hard. Look, our model is Jesus. He accepted Zacchaeus and affirmed Zacchaeus' repentance. In the end, Jesus is the final judge and the only judge that matters. And most importantly, look at verse 10. Well, you're not there now. I'll read it to you. Jesus concludes his encounter with Zacchaeus. Luke concludes his reporting of this with Jesus saying, for, okay, here's the point of the text, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is why He came. came to seek the lost. Little guys up in the tree who everybody hates came to seek them out and save them. Jesus Christ seeks us. He approaches us. He invites us. We're lost. He finds us and saves us from certain death. It's astounding. Our calling is to repent like Zacchaeus. And having repented like the notorious tax collector to turn and treat others as God in Jesus Christ has treated us. That's where this text takes you. Receive and then give. May God give us all the grace to do both.